0: I want to just share a word that God began speaking in my heart and the word is believing in the wild, because at the end of the day, we are what we believe and we walk in the direction of what we believe to be true. We practice and behave according to our beliefs. If we believe that God is a small God, then we pray small prayers. We believe small things. We doubt God can do the impossible if we believe that we are inferior and we believe that we are insecure and we believe that we're not good enough. We behave according to our beliefs. Our beliefs dictate everything about our life. That's why I as I was going through this series, I kept thinking if we don't deal with belief, then none of this other stuff matters. Because we can cheer on Daniel and the lion's then. We can cheer on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can cheer on Esther and Abraham and all the heroes in the hall of faith, leaders that God used in the Bible. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe that what God did for them, he can do for you. If you don't believe how God used them, God can use you. If you don't believe how God provided for them, he can provide for you. If your belief is not in alignment with his word, you're gonna miss out on what he has for you. So everybody say this with me. Believe in the wild. During the holiday season, our family loves lighting candles in the house. How many of you are like like us? You just love having candles lit during Christmas season and the holiday season. We like to have candles all over the house, burning candles in every room. And this is a season that the church calendar calls Advent. It means the coming to, the arrival of. The church would anticipate thousands of years ago the coming of the Messiah, Advent. They would expect and pray and hope and prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. But now the church does not just reflect and celebrate that he came on that Christmas day, but that he's coming back again. And the second coming of the Messiah will be even glorious and greater than the first coming of the Messiah. How many of you believe Jesus came and he's coming back again? It's in his word. And so the church calls this season Advent. It is the four weekends leading up towards Christmas. This would be the first weekend. And on the first weekend, they they use the word hope. Every weekend has a word. The first weekend is hope. And then the next weekend, they go through all these different words leading up towards Christmas, why Jesus came, what Jesus came to do. He's the hope of the world. And this candle represents this fire that cannot be put out, this fire of expectancy, this fire that the church was holding on to this prayer, this hope that the Messiah would come. Their hope was not in a governor. Their hope was not in a a leader, a president, an emperor, a king. Their hope was in that God was going to show up, Emmanuel, that he would come to be with us, that he would come to deliver us from our sins, that he would come to give us salvation. And he is the hope of the world. And one of my favorite stories in this season that I believe hits on belief and hope like never before is the story in Luke chapter one. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter one. Yeah, you can make some noise. Luke chapter one, it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God was about to interrupt 400 years of silence, 400 years of no one hearing from God. It had been dark Israel had become complacent, they had become numb. They would still go to the temple, but they had lost their expectancy. They were still hoping for a Messiah, but because he hadn't come and because no one had said anything for 400 years, it was almost like they were losing so much of their expectancy, so much of their belief. And that can happen sometimes. I think the enemy of belief is is not just doubt, I think it's disappointment when we've been waiting for something to happen and it doesn't happen. Some of you in the room, you've you've been single longer than you wanna be single. You've been childless longer than you wanted to be childless. You were hoping you would have a kid by now. Some of us in this room, we were hoping that our finances would be better by now, hoping that we would be out of debt, hoping that things would be different. Some of you in the room, you thought you'd be free from that addiction by now. You thought your husband would be free from that addiction by now. You thought you'd be out of that depression by now. You thought your kid would be better by now. And and the enemy of belief is it's not just doubts, it's not just questioning if God can. It's disappointed that he hasn't done it yet. It's disappointed that things haven't turned around by now. And this is where this story finds us is that there's a man named Zechariah in Luke chapter one. He's an old man and he's a good man. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, they met and married, they were both pastor's kids, PK, priest kids, and they both grew up in the temple. They had parents who were devoted and devout to the word of God, the ways of God. The Bible says that in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah. By the way, the name Zachariah means the Lord remembers. Never forget that the Lord remembers. You may only remember your mistakes, but the Lord remembers his faithfulness. God doesn't remember how bad you've been. He doesn't put you on the naughty list at Christmas. He puts you on the list as a candidate to be blessed. The Lord remembers his goodness, not your goodness. The Lord remembers his faithfulness. The Lord remembers his promises. The Lord remembers that he promised to Abraham, and you are a son and a daughter of father Abraham who had many sons and many sons had father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That felt weird with a piano softly playing behind me. Zechariah was a child, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant. He was a candidate for God's promises. The Lord remembers. Just say that with me. The Lord remembers. In the time of Herod. Now, Herod was a tyrannical king. Herod hated anyone who threatened his power. The line of the kings that ruled in Israel and Judea when the Roman Empire took over was a it was a rule of it wasn't just this Herod. There was multiple Herods. There was multiple Caesars, and there was such a pride and an arrogance that the government would be the God. The government would rule the people that everyone had to submit to the government and fear the government more than anyone else, more than anything else. Herod was ruling with oppression. He was. He was causing the children of God to become more and more terrified, afraid, hopeless, numb. They would go to the temple, but everything was controlled by the government. I'm so glad the Bible is so relevant to our times today. In the midst of all of this, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. They were following God even in the wild. They were obeying God even with wild times going on around them. They were observing what God called them to do. They were doing everything right, but they did not have children because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So here they are. You're doing everything right. Let me just say this right now. None of us are immune to the problems in this life. None of us are immune to the difficulties of this life. You could do everything right. You could tithe, go to church, love people, love your family, forgive people who've offended you, and you still don't have children. And you're watching other people have baby after baby. You're watching Pastor Ashley have four babies in a row. You're watching other people get, get married. You're watching other people get their dream job. You're watching other people's careers take off. And you, it, it's easy to become cynical, jealous, even frustrated with God and say, God, how, how do they not have problems? You just don't see our problems. We have problems you don't see every person has problems no marriage is immune from problems no family is immune from problems some problems are visible to the public everyone could tell that elizabeth wanted kids and it was a painful thing as a woman to be barren in that time in fact They said that priests were allowed to divorce their wife if they weren't able to have children and marry another person to have children. But instead of divorcing and forsaking his wife, instead of running from his problems, he prayed in the wild. He prayed for his wife. Instead of forsaking his wife, he prayed for his wife. Instead of forsaking his calling, he was praying through the problem. Here's a a, a point right here. Instead of trying to analyze and figure out why it hasn't happened, start praying that God's going to use your problem as an opportunity opportunity for his glory to be revealed that your current setback is a setup for God to show up and to prove that he is God, even over the impossible situations that doctors have said, this could never happen. You'll never get pregnant. See, God was about to supersede Zachariah and Elizabeth's insufficiency if you have a problem, you're a candidate for a miracle. If you have something you cannot do in your own strength and doctors have said it's impossible, you are a candidate for God to show up. God is still in the business of doing the supernatural. God is still the God of the impossible. He's still looking for people he can partner with. And guess what? You and God are the majority you and God. No, no, no. Friends can't talk you out of what God has called you to do. Neighbors cannot cancel what God has planned to do in your life. Co-workers, whoever's been trying to tell you that it's not possible, doctors cannot cancel what the great physician has already planned in store for your womb, for your marriage, for your family, for your dreams. And here's Zachariah. He's being faithful, but he's barren. Elizabeth is being faithful, but she's barren. The one thing that they wanted, they couldn't have. And so it was time for Zachariah to go into the temple. And he went into the temple to burn the incense. The fire was burning. The fire of the prayers of the saints, the worship, the incense was coming from the altar. Worship in the Old Testament leading into the New Testament. See, they were still waiting for Jesus to come and he would change how worship looked. But in that time, it was such a it was such a spectacle. There was fire involved, literal fire. There was coals. People would sing and then smoke would come out from the temple. It was just a powerful expression of worship. And here Zechariah is. He's worshiping. He's weeping. He's praying. He's praying for other people. And all of a sudden, in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Let me stop right there. Do not be afraid, church. Your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid, son. Your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid, wife. Your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid, husband. Your prayers have been heard. Do not be afraid, mom. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers for your children are being heard by God. I'm going to give you four ways to believe in the wild. Number one, you got to believe that God's word still works in the wild. you got to believe that God's word still works in the wild. It still works in a pandemic. It still works. If God said, I'm Jehovah Jireh, then he's not just Jehovah Jireh when the economy is good. He's Jehovah Jireh when the economy is bad. (laughs) Heaven's economy is not dictated by Earth's economy. If God said, I'm El Shaddai, if God said, I'm your protector, I'm your deliverer, I'm Jehovah Nisi, I'm your peace. I'm not just your peace when you're going through peaceful times. I'm your peace when you're going through a pandemic. God's word still works in the wild. But if you don't believe it, then you won't receive it because your belief limits what you're able to receive. If you don't believe that people love you, even the ones who do love you, you'll reject them. And you'll be so insecure and you'll constantly be suspicious and questioning, even though they actually you cannot receive what you don't believe. Your belief cancels out the very thing God's trying to do. I've got a chair with me on stage and some of you came in the room today. You look great. You lost weight over Thanksgiving break. You look skinnier. You look stronger. And you didn't even check to see if your chair was going to hold you up. You didn't check to see if the screws were tightened. Some of you are doing it right now. You didn't, you didn't look underneath the seat to make sure it was intact and it was all. You just sat down. Why? Because you believed that chair was going to hold you. You have faith in your chair. You do. You practice faith right when you walk in this room today. You had faith that you were going to be able to sit down and that chair was not going to let you down. You have faith in your chair. You have faith in your car or maybe you came on a bus. Or maybe you carpooled. You had faith in someone else driving you here. You had faith to come to church. Many people have faith in so many things. They put their belief in... (laughs) Right now, people put their belief in masks, right? Because the government has told us that the masks work. But the back of the box of the masks actually says... This will not prevent you from getting COVID-19. Hey, don't don't shoot the messenger. It's the back of the box. I think we got a picture. I'll show you just to to give you the proof. There it is right there. And this will not provide any protection against COVID-19 or other viruses or (laughs) contaminations. All right. No, look, I got a mask. I got I brought it with me. But my faith is not in a mask. Because Science contradicts itself in 2020. We're, we're, we're told you got to believe the scientist. You got to believe the on si-. Which scientist? Because one scientist says one thing and another scientist says the opposite of that thing. Well, you got to believe the one who graduated from Harvard and Yale. Yeah, well this one also graduated from Harvard and Yale and has a doctorate from Princeton. And, and so we've got very skilled academic scientists that are contradicting themselves. How about instead of just putting all of our faith and blind trust in science, we put our faith in the one who created science, the greatest scientist of them all, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the moon and the stars, who created the cosmos, who put fish in the sea, and he taught us how to understand biology and anatomy. in his words. He is the greatest scientist. We put our faith in so many things that aren't really actually stable. And God says, Zechariah, trust me. I know you've been disappointed. I know you're older than you wanted to be and having a kid. And, but don't you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? God may not do it on your timeline, but that doesn't mean he won't do it. And God may not do it in your framework the way you think he's supposed to do it, but he's going to do it. Because if he said he's going to do it, sit in the chair and trust that the chair is stable. Get in the car and trust that the car can drive you. Believe that God can get you to where he promised he was going to take you. You put faith in so many other things. So what am I saying when I say believe that God's word still works in the wild? Because this was going to be the test for Zachariah and Elizabeth. This was going to be the test for them. It's the test for Mary. It's the test for Joseph. It's the test for the shepherds, the wise men. It's the test for Peter and James and John. It's the test for Paul, the apostle. It's the test for Abraham. The test for all the people that God used in the Bible was, will you believe? Will you believe? Will you believe? I remember as a kid, my dad used to ask me that all the time. Do you believe me, Paul? Do you trust me?" And I said, well, okay, yeah, I do, I believe you. Whether it was him teaching me how to ride a bike, him teaching me how to swim, him rescuing me when I was drowning at the lake one time, he jumped out of the boat, pulled me out. He said, do you believe that I'm watching out for you? Do you believe that I care about you? Do you believe that I hear your cries? Do you believe that I see you as your dad? Do you believe that I believe in you? Do you believe? Because it doesn't matter if I do, it matters if you believe that I do. Because if you don't believe that I do, you're gonna constantly be questioning if you can trust your Father. See, God's a good God. Here's what I'm asking you to believe. Believe God is real believe God is good, believe God is for you, believe God is with you, believe God hears you, believe God sees you, believe God cares about you, not just the big things like your salvation, but even the little things like where your kids go to school and the provision you need to pay the bills at the end of the month and the Christmas presents you need this year at Christmas and the money you need to be able to do something nice for your spouse and the the things that you're waiting on and the tuition you're praying for. You go, I don't know. I just I don't want to get into that. believe that actually God cares about the little things in my life well then you must not be reading your Bible because when Peter had to pay taxes guess who showed up to help him find a coin in a fish's mouth Jesus and when there was a crowd of people who didn't have food to eat guess who brought the food Jesus he multiplied the loaves and the fishes and when the disciples were going through a storm guess who calmed the storm Jesus you, you, no, no matter what the, the problem was, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. It was a little fever. It wasn't even a big thing. She wasn't like Lazarus. She wasn't dead. She wasn't blind. She wasn't mute, deaf. There was no demon in her. But guess who came to calm his mother-in-law's fever? It was the first miracle Jesus did in that area, in that town. He walked over to Peter's house and said, hey, if it matters to you, it matters to me. Believe. Believe. If it matters to you, it matters to me. If your mom's fever matters to you, then it matters to God. If it matters to you, then it matters to God. Oh, that's a point right there. If it matters to you, then it matters to God. But if you don't believe it, you won't pray for it. You won't ask for it, and you'll reject it when it shows up. And you might say, well, Paul, you know, I, I believed God for your dad to get healed, Paul. And when he died of cancer, it's just hard for me to believe for healing these days. It's hard for me to believe. I'll come to church. Zachariah would go to church, but he was dealing with doubt even as a pra- pastor, a priest. You can be a pastor and still live in doubt. You can preach about faith and still question every scripture you just preached. This was where Zachariah was at. He knew the story of Abraham and Sarah. So when God says, Zachariah, you're going to have a son and his name will be John. And I know Elizabeth's in her old age, but she's going to have a baby. And this baby, this miracle is not just for you. He'll be a joy and a delight to everyone who meets him. People will rejoice over his birth. This promise that you're believing for is not just about you. It's about people that are going to be impacted on the other side. So don't, listen, don't stop believing because you believing is not just going to benefit you. It's going to benefit generations to come. Don't stop praying, don't stop circling Jericho, don't stop asking God for the supernatural because it's not just about you. Say that with me, it's not just about me. There's other people connected to this. So he said, this boy will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So, So now the angel's saying, Gabriel's saying, the promise that God's gonna give you, it's gonna require a sacrifice on your part. You've been praying for a baby. God's going to give you a baby, but this will be no ordinary baby. And because he's no ordinary baby, you're going to have to set up some extraordinary boundaries over his life. You can't raise this kid how other people raise their kids without any restrictions, without any boundaries. Boundaries are a blessing. Boundaries are going to set this boy up to prosper and succeed and be a voice of revival to the nations. So don't let him drink what everyone else drinks. Don't let him talk how everyone else talks. You need to raise him. This, this promise has a, a commitment to it. This promise has a sacrifice connected to it. All of us want the blessings of God, and yet we don't want to submit to the purpose of God. So many people, they want the benefits without the sacrifice. I want God to bless my marriage. And yet, are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to be committed? Are you willing to take the humble road? Are you willing to serve as Christ served the church? We want God to bless our finances. And yet God says there's a sacrifice connected to the blessing. God blessed Abraham when Abraham followed through with obedience to lay Isaac on the altar, and then the ram showed up. Jehovah Jireh did not come until Abraham obeyed what God was asking him to do. Believe that God's word still works in the wild, and when you believe, believing is not just a thought, it's an action. Faith is not just an idea, it's an action. Don't say you believe in God if there's no change in your life. There's two billion people who profess to believe in God, but how many of those people are truly living out their beliefs? A belief is only a belief when it's truly lived out. So the access point into salvation is, yes, confess the Lord, call on his name. But from that moment on, believing starts to change your life. It starts to change the way you act. And so in this moment, he says, this boy will bring back many of people of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. He's going to bring revival in the land. And Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in her years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. So many of us are like Zechariah. Which leads me to point number two. How do I believe in the wild? I got to believe that my words work in the wild. Believe that your words still work in the wild. It may not seem like your words matter. But what we're about to find out from Zechariah is that words can have an impact on the promise that God has for you. See, God's going to speak the promise. But if you try to cancel it out with your words, you might talk yourself out of the blessing. You might talk yourself out of the breakthrough. God may speak over you. You are free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. But if you keep thinking to yourself, no, I'm addicted. I'm stuck with this. This is the way I am. This is my Enneagram number. I am stuck with this behavior for the rest of my life. I'm always going to be stuck like this. I'm always going to have this problem. Things are never going to change. This isn't a temporary season. This is permanent, Paul. I'm permanently bound to this addiction, to this season, never going to get married, never going to have kids, never going to see a breakthrough, never going to be debt free. I'm bound to this debt. I'm bound to these problems. You are cursing the blessing that God has for you. You are talking yourself out of the victory that God's promised you. You will be the lender and not the borrower. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not beneath. You will be a blessing to the nations. Why? Because God promised you in his word. But if you cancel it out with your words, you talk yourself out of receiving what God has for you. So Zachariah says, how can this happen? I'm old. My wife's old. There's no way this is going to happen. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to you to bring good news. I came to give you good news in your problems. And now you're going to... You're going to talk yourself out of it? Uh-uh. I am muting the comments. I am blocking you on Instagram. I am shutting you down from speaking all this negative toxicity on Twitter. Because listen, you could talk yourself. He had to mute. He had to mute Zachariah. He said, I'm going to mute you. Everybody said muted. I'm going to mute you until this happens, because if I don't, you'll talk yourself out of what God wants to do. Your words have power. When God showed up to Ezekiel in the Bible, he said, what do you see? Ezekiel said, I see a valley of dry bones. God said, I see a future army of Israel that's rising up. Ezekiel said, well, you're the only one who can make that happen. He said, no, I want you to prophesy over these bones. God could have said it, but he wanted Ezekiel to say it god could say what he wants to say over you and your future but he wants you to say it and your words are prophecies over the future jesus would step in after 400 prophecies waiting for him to come john the baptist was the fruition of a prophecy that isaiah said that one in the wilderness is coming to prepare the way of the lord john the baptist was 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 the fulfillment of a seed that had been sown a long time ago So when Ezekiel began to prophesy over the dead, dry bones, his words fell to the ground and all of a sudden the bones began to turn into a vast army in the Bible. When Jesus spoke, it was like seeds. Farmers know you cannot reap a harvest on soil that you have not sown seeds on. How many guys have ever planted grass seed in your yard waiting for grass to come up? Have you ever planted a tree before? Right. You cannot see a tree grow unless you plant the seed. We've been teaching our boys how to do this. They're always taking their apple seeds and sticking it in the ground around the church and waiting for an apple tree to pop up. You can't reap a harvest on seeds you haven't sown. Your words are seeds. I am the harvest today of the seeds that my, sow, my dad sowed, my mom sowed when I was a little boy. They would put their hands on my head and they would prophesy. Paul's a mighty man of God. He's anointed to preach. He's anointed to sing. He's anointed to write songs. He's anointed. They were speaking it before they ever saw it. Parents, we have the power to prophesy like a farmer sows seeds over our children to project and predict where God's going to take them. And you can speak the word of God. If you don't know what to say, just say the word of God. He's more than a conqueror. He's confident. He's not insecure. He's not depressed. He's peaceful. He's full of joy. He's not an angry guy. He's not addicted. He's free. Who the son said. When you begin to prophesy the word of God, your words still work in the wild. Even though it's wild out here, you can choose to speak life over whatever you're seeing right now. So the angel said, Zachariah, I'm going to shut you up until you see this promise come to pass. Believe that your words still work in the wild. And then number three, get around other believers in the wild. Watch what happens here. Meanwhile, while people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the temple, he stayed so long. When he came out, he could not speak. They realized he had seen a vision, and now he was mute. When the time of his service was completed, he went home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. What was she doing? She was protecting her future. She was protecting the promise that God put inside her. The Lord has done this for me, she said. By the way, the name Elizabeth means the oath of God. Zachariah's name meant the Lord remembers Elizabeth's name meant the oath of God together. The Lord remembers his promises. The Lord remembers his oath. In these days, God has shown his favor and he has taken away my disgrace among the people. And then all of a sudden, the angel shows up to Mary to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The angel said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was afraid. And then the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You were to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow your weakness, which you cannot do. Stop analyzing how and start praying now. Start praying for the Holy Spirit to overshadow what you cannot do. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth. Watch how the angel name drops Mary's cousin. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. The angel said the name Elizabeth because The angel wanted Mary to know you're not the only one who's going through this right now. You're not the only one who's believing for a promise. You need to go and see someone who has the same faith as you. You need to go get around someone who's walking through the same struggle you're walking through, who's believing to see the same victory. This is why we gather every Sunday, because you need to know you're not the only one who's sitting at home waiting for this pandemic to be over, trying to figure out how we're gonna get through this. God has other believers who wanna sharpen your faith, and when iron sharpens iron, sparks begin to fly when when when, when mary was going to go visit elizabeth watch what happens mary got ready and by the way, I love the end of verse 37. It says, no promise of God is empty of power. For with God, nothing is impossible. This is what the angel is saying to Mary. This is what God is saying to you. Believe. No promise from God. Not one promise from God. Did you know in the Bible there are thousands of promises of God? And not one of them is empty of power. Not one of them lacks power. Every promise of God is powerful. Nothing is impossible for God. We saw God raise a girl from from dead to life this year in August. She was literally dead, and she came back to life. The doctor said, well, if she does come back to life, she'll be a vegetable the rest of her life, because this is what science says. She'll be a vegetable. Then all of a sudden, as I was preaching during Victory Conference, her foot started kicking. Her fingers started wiggling. The night Darius Daniels was preaching on Thursday night, she opened her eyes and she said, Roar! Because his sermon was all about the roar. And her parents texted me, called me, started crying. Because the week before the conference, I came to the hospital and they were getting ready for a funeral for Ashley Anspa. But during conference, she started moving. The doctor said, well, even if she moves, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. She won't be able to speak. Her her brain was dead for too long. She coded on the table. She was brain dead. There's no way she'll be able to speak. By the end of the weekend, she was singing worship songs. The next week, she stood up out of her bed. She started walking in the hospital. With God, nothing is impossible. Not one promise of God is empty of power. The doctor said, well, this doesn't make any sense. And they started trying to put more restrictions on what she was going to be able to do. Don't you love it when people just put more restrictions on what you're able to do? And she just busted all the restrictions. She was in church in the last service. She's now coming to church. She's back in her job, working as a teacher, teaching. She's getting ready to get back into the classroom, teaching. She's fully functioning, speaking, walking, dancing, lifting her hands. We serve a God who can do the impossible. But she had to get around other believers she had to be tuned in to hear that word of faith and this is what mary did at that time verse 39 mary got ready and she hurried to the hill country where she knew her cousin elizabeth was and when she came to the door elizabeth heard the knock at the door when elizabeth opened the door The baby inside of Elizabeth leaped in her womb. I wonder how long it had been since Elizabeth had felt a kick in her womb. I wonder how long Elizabeth had been sitting, waiting to know, is the promise still alive? Is it still there? I just need to know, God, if you're still doing something, if you still plan to take care of our needs, if you still plan to show up this Christmas, if you still plan to heal my marriage, if you still plan to do it, and when she opened the door, there was something about Mary's personality. There's just something about Mary. There's something about Mary's character that caused what was inside of Elizabeth to leap. You got to be careful who you open the door to because who you open the door to will cause the baby to leap or to die. Some of us are inviting the complainers into the house, the cynics into the house, the bitter people into the house, the jealous people into the house. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Elizabeth had to know who she's about to show this bump to needs to be worthy to see the bump she opened the door. She hadn't let anyone see that bump for five months. She was waiting for the right voice to come to the door. And when the voice of faith showed up, when the voice of the, the mother of the, the Messiah, the mother of the child of God, when Mary showed up at the door, there was something that caused the baby inside of Elizabeth. John the Baptist was saying, "Ah, oh, that's my cousin. I can't wait to baptize him. I can't wait to prepare the way of the Lord. You see, this is what happens when you come to Victory Church. My prayer is that when you walk through that door, the baby inside you leaps, the dream inside you leaps, the faith inside you. I want the band to come up that you start feeling cartwheels going on on the inside of your stomach. You go, oh my goodness, there's a church that's alive in the pandemic and they are gathering in massive numbers and they are not afraid and they are not shut down and they are not sticking back, wondering when God's going to show up. They are alive and active in a pandemic pandemic, you see, you need to be around other believers in the wild because you might unintentionally isolate yourself and stay in seclusion for too long and miss out on what God's trying to do on the inside you. What God's doing in you is more important than what's happening around you. What God's doing in me, what God's doing in us as a church is more important than what's happening around us. He's trying to create a community immunity of faith, a community immunity against fear, a community immunity against shame, against this uh, this feeling of I'm all by myself. No, you're not. Not only do you have an angel with you, you got believers that are walking through this with you, that are standing with you, praying with you. And then the time came for Elizabeth to give birth to her baby. It had been a long time. She had been waiting for this moment. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared in her joy. And then it says in verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And then they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Wait, they were going to name him. Who is they? The neighbors were going to name Zachariah and Elizabeth's child. Ain't nobody going to name me and Ashley's babies. I get people all the time coming up to us saying, I know what you're supposed to name the baby. That's good. You can keep that to yourself because I know God's going to tell me what I'm supposed to name my baby. Don't let anybody name your future. Don't let anybody talk you out of, they didn't carry your pain. They didn't go through the labor you went through. They didn't face the struggle you faced. They didn't walk through the embarrassment that you walked through. Elizabeth said, uh-uh, very nice of you to think that I want to name my baby after Zechariah, but God gave me a different name. God gave me a name. I know you say that I'm addicted. I'm afflicted. I'm insecure. I'm unworthy. I'm embarrassing. I'm ashamed, but my God says I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm I'm forgiven. He's given me a name that trumps your name. The name he's given me is the name that's going to stick. Don't let a name stick that God didn't give. Don't let names and labels stick on you that God didn't give to you. Your neighbor, your neighbors will try to name your marriage. They'll try to name your future. They'll try to name your kids. Embarrassing, klutz. He's always going to be like that. Even grandparents, even relatives, even people will try to come in and name what's on you. You got to stick to the confidence that God put on the. Don't let anybody talk you out of the promise that God put on the inside you. When God spoke to me that I was going to one day pastor this church, I had other people saying, you're not the right guy. You're too young. You're unqualified. You haven't gotten enough education. You don't have a doctorate degree. Besides, you're not that great of a speaker. You don't even know English that well. (laughs) but I could not let them talk me out of what God had put on the inside me. When Dr. Cho decided to start a church in South Korea, people said, you're not the right guy to do it. He said, I am pregnant with a church. He said, ha ha ha, you're not pregnant, you're a man. Men can't get pregnant. He said, no, no, I am pregnant. I am carrying a large church inside. It's just a matter of time before it comes out. Today, his church numbers over a million people in Seoul, South Korea. It's the largest church in the world. When he was young though, he said, people tried to talk me out of what was inside me. They didn't know what was in me. People don't know what's in you. Elizabeth said, no, no, no. I'm going to name the child, not you, not CNN, not Fox News, not MSNBC. I'm naming the future. His name will be called John. The name John means the Lord is gracious. Then they said to her, well, there's no one in your family with that name. There's Why would you name him John? They said, besides, the Father has the final say on the name. The Father has the final say on the name. The Father has the final say of your name. The Father, the Father, your heavenly Father has the final say. What's his name, Father? His name is John. Suddenly, Zachariah's mouth opened up. He was set free. He began to speak. He began to praise God. His neighbors were filled with awe, and they thought with all of these things that were happening, this child is going to do something extraordinary. The Lord's hand is on him. Then Zechariah began to worship. Praise be to the Lord the God of Israel because he has come to his people. He has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Salvation from our enemies to show mercy to our ancestors to remember his covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from our enemies in holiness and righteousness and you my child you will be a prophet of the most high you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. watches the father gets passionately prophetic over his child. He had been shut up for so long that when he was finally able to speak, he just began to prophesy. Some of us in this room, it's, begin to, it's, it's time for us to speak what the father is speaking over us. People might say that you're one thing, but God says you're a different thing. God remembers the good things over you. Before I end today, I want the lights to come dark as we get ready to pray. And I'm looking at this candle, and this candle is still lit, but it's gone down. It's half of what it was before. In some cases, it's two-thirds. It's one-third of what it was before. I think it was, yeah, it's, it's gone even further down. And, and I, was, I was looking at this, and I was thinking how some of you, you feel like this year has just cut down so much of your life. You've walked through so much pain and emotional and mental pain. And then the physical turmoil and the stress and the anxiety. It's like the enemy's just been trying to melt down all the life that you have. But I hear God saying the candle's still burning. The hope is still alive. God is not finished with you. God is not finished with your marriage. God is not finished with your finances. God is not finished with your son. God's not finished with your dream to get married. God's not finished with your dream to have children. God's not finished with the business he's put inside you. The question is, is the candle still burning in you? You might have gone through so much that's melted you down, that's squashed you down, but I hear God saying there's still a fire. There's still a fire of hope. There's still a Wait upon the Lord. Just believe. Just believe, Mary. Just believe, Zechariah. Just believe. Even in your old age, even when the candle is down to nothing, God is up to something. I'm going to bring provision from the north, south, east, and west. I'm going to line up the magi to take care of your kids' tuition. I'm bringing wise men, people who don't even know you, I'm going to surprise you with hope. I'm going to interrupt you in the holidays with hope this year. There's going to be an interruption, a good interruption, an interruption to your discouragement, an interruption to your despair, an interruption to your cynicism, an interruption to your disappointment, an interruption to your doubt. You're going to be surprised by hope this Christmas. You're going to be surprised that God's Going to do things that are so powerful, so impossible in the eyes of man. God said, I still do what I did back then. I still do it. I'm still in the business of doing the impossible. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. I'll part the Red Seas. I'll shut the mouths of lions. I'll give you the courage, the confidence, the strength that the stone in your slingshot is enough to take out the giant. I'll cause even the Supreme Court to act on your behalf. I'll work through people who don't even know you, but they're fighting for you. This battle is not yours, Paul. This battle is not yours, victory. The battle belongs to the Lord stand to your feet all over this place today. I wanna encourage you this week to light a candle in your house. And when you light that candle, I want you to think about this message. I want you to think about the hope that we have, the hope that we have in our Father who sees us, who hears us, who cares about the details of our life, who says that nothing is impossible for him who believes. No promise of God is empty of power as you light a candle this week in your house and you pray with hope over the situations that you're facing right now, I want you to just think about, close your eyes, is there something that you need in your life that you cannot do without God? Faith does not grow on accident. Faith does not grow unless it's exercised. It's like working out in the gym. You don't get muscles just by going to work out once a year. You gotta keep on stretching your muscles of faith. You gotta keep on believing God for things in your life that you're asking for, that you're praying for. The needs in your life that God sees you. He hears you. He cares about those needs. He cares about the details. And when all hope seems lost, God says there's still a fire. There's still a fire. There's still hope. There's still hope for your son. There's still hope for your wayward husband. There's still hope for your ex. There's still hope for your grandma. There's still hope. There's still hope. His fire never goes out. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now and you say, man, Paul, there's some things that I'm believing for that I just need. I need God's help. I just need his miracle working power. It's just it looks impossible unless God shows up. If that's you, raise your hand all over this room. Yeah, if you're facing some things that are bigger than you, you need God. Raise your hand. You need God's help. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, marriage, family, your dad. Maybe it's a legal battle right now of your kids, a legal battle for your business, finances. whatever it is. Just keep your hand up. I, I, I just hear God saying, a hand raised is like a fire lit. It's like you're showing God, I've been through a lot this year, but my fire's still lit. I've been through a lot, I feel melted down. I feel like my candle's down to its last little bit of wax that's left but my hand is up, God, and I'm asking you to fill me once again with faith to believe that nothing is impossible for you. Fill me with faith, just say this with me, fill me with faith, Lord. Fill me with hope to believe that nothing is impossible. Your promises are still good and your word still works even in the wild. What you did back then, you can do it again. And I ask you to do it for me. Lord, I release my disappointment, my doubt, my cynicism. And I choose to believe that you can do the impossible. My hope is in you. Now, right now, across this room, for anyone who's not right with God, you need to repent. You need to get your heart ready for Jesus. You know he's coming back again and you wanna be right with God. If that's you, raise your hand. Today, you're saying, I wanna submit and surrender to God, to his plan for my life. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Today, you're saying, I'm ready to get right with God. I'm ready to repent. If you're watching online, let's all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord, my Savior. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You are my hope. And I believe you are coming back again. And I want to be ready. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. God bless you. Have a great week, victory. Encourage someone on your way out today.